The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Colossians 2, 6-7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. It's really, really good to be with you and to thank you for the opportunity uh, to to speak, uh, to talk a little bit about RUF. I I saw that title and I thought that's kind of bold there, the essence of RUF. and, um, but I can, I can go with that title. <laughs> we can roll with that, and I think based on this passage, as Stacy said, um, my name is Kevin Teasley. I was an RUF campus minister for 19 years, and five years ago, my family and I, we moved to Nashville. I'm now the National Director of Advancement, um, you know, just a fancy way to say, and I'm just, uh, I'm the national fundraiser uh, now for RUF, and it's, it strikes me every time I say that. I cannot believe it, like I'm this professional fundraiser now. And um, it's not something I, I would have ever said I, I thought was going to be my, the, the trajectory of my life. And I don't know that I could do fundraising for any organization, but I can do it for RUF because I believe in this organization. Um, I, I was converted through this ministry uh, back in 1990 at Ole Miss. And um, then I went on to seminary, was on staff for 19 years, and I've watched this ministry change and impact a lot of lives. And... Um, and, and build and strengthen the church over, you know, the, those 19 years and, and beyond uh, and moving forward. Heard one person, uh, one pastor in Washington, D.C. just say, you know, I think as great as the mark of RUF on the church, you know, over the last 20 or so years has been, been impressive. But I think what, what he went on to say is, but I think we're just beginning to see the mark that RUF is going to have on the church and on the kingdom. And I really think that, that by God's grace, that's really true. And I think it's really exciting. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm the national development guy for RUF, so I know these kind of stats, and maybe I'm the only one who geeks out on these kind of numbers now, but I thought this might be encouraging for you, Christ Presbyterian Church, um, is that uh, in May of 1989, Christ Presbyterian Church made their first gift uh, to RUF. And, um, and that was probably about the time that Hal Farnsworth moved to Nashville to start RUF at Vanderbilt. And, and probably about the same time that Fred Harrell was moving to, to Knoxville, Tennessee to start RUF. And that was really the first time that RUF did, had, had jumped out of the borders of Mississippi where it had started. And, um, you know, for the last 19 years, I've really had um, a front row seat of watching Stacy as well, you know, has seen this, watching RUF grow from what was just a very regional southern college ministry to what I recently heard Tim Keller say was one of the most important and influential and impactful ministries in the entire country, college ministries in the entire country. And, um, and I think that's a legitimate way to, to look at this, and it really is exciting. And, um, and I just say that along with those numbers, like in May of 1989, Christ Presbyterian Church made their first gift. Since that time, Christ Presbyterian Church has given $750,000 to RUF, close to 2,000 gifts to RUF. 
And as RUF is literally exploding across the country, it is a legitimate thing to say is that Christ Presbyterian Church has been a big reason for that and a big part of that growth as RUF is going now all over the country. And so to be able to stand in front of you and just say thank you, uh, and that doesn't even count the hundreds of families that have given probably hundreds of thousands of dollars to RUF that, that go to Christ Presbyterian Church. And so just to stand here and say thank you for your partnership in this thing and this, for you to just see the impact of this ministry is really a great privilege for me to be able to do that. And um, as we look at this passage, our, the, the mission statement of RUF is reaching students for Christ, equipping students to serve. And when we talk about RUF reaching students for Christ, what, what we really want to see since our beginning is to see students come to an explicit, assured faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, wh- whether you're a Christian, been a Christian for a long time, and you go to college, you show up in RUF, we want to see you come to an explicit, assured conviction in your faith in Jesus Christ again. And if you're a non-Christian, that's what we want to see in you. Talking to students about Jesus, that is our purpose. And RUF is basically hardwired to make Jesus the center of everything, to make a big deal out of Jesus. And that's what we want to see in our students. And that's what the book of Colossians is all about. And that's what this passage really does speak to. Um, I'm going to set it up with an illustration. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to preach at a church where I had never, I had not ever attended. I had never been. I'd never seen. Um, I, I do a lot of pulpit supply, if you will, filling in for the the pastor, kind of like this morning, you know. And um, I was running late. I can't stand it when I'm running late to preach. And and if you a couple weeks ago, it was a rainy morning. my, I got to my car, parked in the driveway, my windows are fogged up, and, and it was even dark because I had to leave pretty early in the morning, and when I walked out, my floodlights came on on my house, uh, the motion sensor lights, and so they're kind of shining. I crank my car, and my dashboard is really bright, it, like raining, dark. I, I'm having a hard time seeing. I, I put my car in reverse, and um, I, I'm off the driveway, and so I pull forward, and I, and I start backing up again, and I realize I've run off the other side of my driveway, okay? I open up my door, and it's raining, and when I open up the door so I can kind of see the edge of the driveway so I can make sure I'm going in the right way, you know, rain starts coming in on me. I've got my sermon notes sitting here on my knee, you know, because i got to get my thoughts together, and uh, rain starts coming in on my notes, um, and there's pine straw in my driveway, so I can't even see where my driveway really starts and begins to end. So I just, I just, literally, I go to myself, just get it together, Kevin. Just settle down, you know? And, uh, and I put my car in reverse, and next thing you know, I slam into my mailbox, okay? This really does happen. I'm thinking, okay, instantly, it's amazing where my thoughts go, but I instantly think, how can I blame my children or my wife about this? Okay. But they've actually parked fine in the driveway. Okay. Like it's all on me. And, um, I'm going, just get it together. I, I get my phone out. I got my, pull the map up. I've got two minutes to spare. Okay. According to the ETA on my little map thing. Okay. So off I go as I'm, li- this is not kidding. As I'm driving the pastor from the Gulf coast texts me because I'm already supposed to be there praying with the elders before the service, right? They're panicked that the guest preacher is not going to show up. And so the pastor texts me from his vaca- fall break with his children 
are you coming, Kevin? <laughs> like they're worrying about you. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. So I get there about two minutes in, in, in time, you know, before the service starts. And I just say that because I want you to picture me frustrated, <laughs> even angry, trying to, I hate to be late when I, when I preach. I like to be relaxed, kind of chilled out, kind of ease into this thing, be in the right kind of frame of mind. Um, and I use that as an illustration to say that's the way a lot of us, maybe even a lot of you, are living the Christian life. <laughs> You're frustrated, maybe even angry um, as you think about this thing, and it's because of the way that you and I tend to live the Christian life. There's just like a million things going on. There's all kinds of things that can distract us. And this passage that was just read for us in Colossians chapter 2, it is an amazing passage that can just kind of settle us down, kind of ground us, and get us going in the right direction, can get us going on the right foot. Um, verse 6 it, it's so helpful for me. I've actually never preached on this passage before, but I've talked about it a lot. And, and somebody actually told me very early on when I started out in ministry, he said, Kevin, you need to really meditate on this passage and you need to really think about this passage, especially as you're starting out in ministry, because this person said, it's so, and I remember him saying this to me. So in one way, this passage really has been a, a, real, a real shaper of, for me in ministry. And I think it's just interesting and helpful because what the Apostle Paul says here is he says the way that you began the Christian life is the way that you continue the Christian life, right? The way that you received Jesus at the beginning of your Christian walk is the exact same way that you received Jesus all during your Christian walk, all during the Christian life, right? You cannot separate, you cannot divorce your justification from your sanctification at any, at any point, right? The, Paul is saying the way that you begin is the way that you continue, right? And so my three points really are just this. Here's how you began. This is how you begin, um, how it all started, where it goes wrong, and how are we supposed to continue? So there's my three points. And so how did it all begin? It began with you, as a Christian, receiving Jesus. Now, I'm going to paint in some real broad strokes here because I know if you've got 100 people in a room, right, there's 100 different stories of conversions and how you came to faith in Christ. And, um, you know, some of them are dramatic and maybe instantaneous. Maybe you heard a sermon. Some of it's a slow, gradual process. I would see students sometimes take three years, you know, as they're putting Christianity on, taking Christianity off, you know, just trying it out before they're actually converted. Um, so I know that I, this is very broad. But at the moment of your conversion, when you come to faith in Christ, when something spiritual is happening in your life, right, and it's like time to get right with God, what, what's going on there typically is the Holy Spirit is starting to convict you of sin in your life, right? You have some aware, awareness of God's holiness, of the standard that God has, you know, and kind of like the psalmist where he says, oh God, if you... If you were to keep a record of wrongs, who in the world could stand before you, right? You've got some awareness of the standard that God would have, and, and you don't measure up, right? Um, this conviction of sin, this growing conviction of sin. But at the same time, you get this awareness, you get this realization that somehow, some way, Jesus 
has come to deal with that, right? He, he was sent to deal with that. He came to bridge the gap, right? That your sins were paid for, like the wrath of God that your sins deserve was poured out upon Jesus, right? Um, and, you know, that you were, I mean, this is what justification is all about, right? Your sins are paid for. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account, right? Um, you're fully accepted, you know, before the Father, um, not on the basis of your works, but because of the works of another person, Jesus, right? Like if you are here this morning and, there, and you are in Christ, you are a believer, there's a huge sign hanging over your head that says there is no condemnation for you right now. Like that is your standing. Like that is what justification is all about. It's just as if you had never sinned and just as if you had lived the life Jesus lived. Like that's, that's the deal of the century. It's unbelievable, right? Um, you know, you've cast yourself fully on Christ. Um, you, have, you realize I have no hope in myself of salvation. Um, I, I very much remember as a junior in college that moment. And, and maybe you do too. Maybe you can remember that moment for you. And you remember the assurance, you know, that you had at that point. You remember the joy you know, that you had in that moment. You, you remember how alive maybe even that you felt the confidence that you had. I mean, that, that thought of, wow, this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died for me, right? I remember this. It was one of the best times of my life. Like, I saw people through this different lens, you know? Um, all of a sudden, the patience, maybe the love, it was all growing in my life, right? It, the God, it really was good news to me at that point, right? And if you think back to your conversion and when it all started for you, like, you remember how good that news was, you know, for you. I think about the songs that we sing in RUF and that, I mean, and it's been just woven all through this service even this morning and the songs we sing. There's a line that's probably my favorite line of any song I've ever sung in RUF, uh, from beneath the cross, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross, right? What Martin Luther was talking about when he said, simul usus et peccator, you're simultaneously justified yet still a sinner, but you're justified. You're one with him and it's secure in Christ. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of an aside at this moment to say, no student gets all this when they're converted, okay? Like, I, did, I still don't get all this, right? We're going to spend all of eternity plumbing the depths of how high and how wide and how deep and how just rich the love is for those who are in Christ, right? No student gets all this when they're converted. You didn't understand this when you all got converted. I, I didn't either. But it's interesting that over all those years, and even still as I talk to adult friends, and I'll ask them, how did you become a Christian? Or why do you think you're a Christian? Tell me about your walk with Christ. Tell me how all begin, it's so interesting that, and I don't expect and wouldn't expect some advanced, deep theological outline of the intricacies of somebody's salvation or this amazing definition of justification, you know, what justification by faith is. But what's amazing is that time after time after time, I sit down and say, so tell me why you're a Christian, is nobody ever mentions the name of Jesus. Over and over again, what gets spoken of is things that they have done. They'll talk about the, the events surrounding their conversion, you know, maybe what they had done or maybe what they, you know, just what had happened maybe even in that moment, what they were doing, but nobody ever talks about Jesus. His, his name often doesn't get mentioned, right? 
Like, it really would have just thrilled me at times if a student would have looked at me and just gone, man, I don't really know, Kevin. I don't know how to answer many of those questions about my salvation. All I know is Jesus took care of that for me, right? He saved me. Um, it's just, I just, it's not just, this isn't a college student thing. This is just like a, a human being thing and a Christian thing. We just tend to, there's something about our heart where the default mode is to start to relate our salvation to something we do. Um, to relate our salvation in that way. And, and because of that, it, it really causes problems throughout the entire Christian life. I remember being like in, in middle school or maybe even elementary school back with the Space Shuttle Challenger. Y'all look like a pretty young crowd. Y'all may not even know what I'm talking about here, but back when I was in elementary and middle school with the Space Shuttle Challenger went up, man, you canceled classes for the day. Everybody went into the cafeteria and we'd watch this big, huge tube TV that weighed like, they'd bring in on a cart with like a seat belt strapped over the top of it. And we'd all sit there, you know, looking at this TV rolled in on a cart you know, and the space shuttle challenger would go up. Well, there was this one particular time that the, there was a, and now I'm showing you that I'm not a, uh, a, a rocket scientist, um, the rudder, okay, on the space shuttle, it was like four degrees off, okay, and they started talking about that and even realizing this isn't going to be good, but because that rudder was all four degrees, the space shuttle challenger at this, this particular liftoff missed the orbit by two and a half miles, Okay, and that's that's a pretty big deal. But let me tell you an even bigger deal. If you don't understand justification and you miss that at the beginning, it's going to produce a shipwreck in your spiritual life. And especially as you think about loving somebody, loving Jesus for a lifetime. Right. Um, You miss justification and it puts people off course and it can ruin their spiritual life. Okay, and that's kind of taking me to the second point about what goes wrong. And again, it's, there's something about the default mode of the human heart after the fall, all right? So, you know, you become a Christian, you start growing in the Christian life, and you're rightly thinking, okay, man, I got all this stuff in my life that I shouldn't be do- I'm doing and I shouldn't be doing. Um, I need to get, get you know, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like him. And I'm looking at Jesus and I'm looking at me and there's a lot of growing that's got to happen here, right? And so you're rightly kind of thinking that, but what, but what suddenly starts to come in is the message of, like this is kind of what the message of discipleship can easily become is here's what you got to do to be a Christian, right? And so what begins to happen is we all create this mental image, this, this idea of like this is what Kevin Teasley will look like when I'm on my game as a Christian, right? And when I'm on my game as a Christian, guess what? God likes me more. God is more pleased with me. If I do these things, I check, and we all love a checklist, right? When I'm checking these things off, God loves me more. When I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then I'm in with him. And if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then I'm really, da- I'm really in danger, and God's just kind of tolerating me like a bad draft pick or something, you know? And I better get it together. Like, you, you, you get on this roller coaster, you know? of just ups and downs, like, man, I went to the RUF Fall Conference this weekend. It was, all, it was awesome. But then, then I, went to the, I went to the riverboat formal, okay, <laughs> and it's just a disaster, right? Just up and down and up and down. And, but the guiding assumption of that roller coaster is that when I do what I'm supposed to do, God likes me. And if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, then it's all in jeopardy, right? And I want you to think about what 
happens with that. I was even thinking, the most of us like to relate to God. It's like going to a really awesome restaurant, you know, and you have this amazing meal and you are enjoying the heck out of it, but then all of a sudden it dawns on you, ooh, boy, that bill's about to come, (laughs) right? And all of a sudden it just can, it can ruin the meal, you know? And um, when you think about, well, I'm going to have to pay for this now, you know? And I think that's how a lot of us live the Christian life, this fear and this dread of this bill that's going to come in one day, right? And, it's, and so think about this. Don't you see how when that creeps into your head and into your heart, your joy starts to diminish, right? Your, your confidence starts to diminish, Um, your zeal deteriorates because now all of a sudden your salvation, it's about you. It's not about Jesus anymore, but it's about you, okay? And now you become less compassionate towards other people. You become less patient. You become less loving, right? You become less thankful because now everything's rooted, as Paul in this passage in, in Colossians talks about, instead of being rooted, built up on Jesus, it's rooted, built up on you. And that's incredibly shaky ground. And so now everything just starts to shrink, right? Everything starts to deteriorate. You know, and think about this. When you, and then it kind of dawns on you. You have these moments where you realize kind of where your heart is and where, where your spiritual life kind of is, your relation, how you're... And, you know, and this is where we really go wrong is I'm just going to double down on doing good, right? I'm just going to try harder, right? I'm going to get the right rules in place. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to really mean it this time. I'm really going to get disciplined, right? Again, you see, you see what you're doing. Like, you're becoming the focus. I heard Joe Novenson give this illustration, and I really thought it was great. It's like, you know, here you are living the Christian, living your life, you know, and Jesus is like out here, and he comes in with this, like a heat-seeking missile, you know, and takes hold of you, right? And, um, and again, that could be in a dramatic instant conversion. You hear a sermon, maybe an experience in your life. You get right with God. You know, or it could be a still small voice, and it's a gradual process. But regardless, Jesus takes hold of you. And, and then what happens is, as Paul says in, in Philippians, that you start to take hold of that which has taken hold of you. You know, Jesus has got you. Then you take hold of him. But as the Christian life goes on, what happens is, because your grip and my grip is pretty weak, if you want to know the truth, and it starts to slip off, and now we're all out here. And what the tendency in our life to do at that moment is, is we get focused on our grip, on him. And guess what? It's not too good. But what the writers of Scripture, what Paul is doing in this passage, is he's saying, don't look there first. Look at his grip on you. That's what's important. Look at his grip. And the more you start to do that, the more that you look. This is why I love coming to the Lord's Supper every week, because it's reminding me of his grip on me. And the more you do that, guess what happens to your group? You start to take back hold, right? It's, it's all about your focus. Where are you looking? See, that's how you continue. That's how you continue. And, and we, you and I, college students, we, we will not understand sanctification. We will not understand growing in holiness until we start to understand this, that the same message that converted you, that that same message is what's going to grow you as a Christian. See, what happens over time is we forget what, what to do with our bad things, our sin, 
right? Over time, it's just like it just kind of leaves the it can really leave the building. We forget what to do with our bad things, and so you got to go back to the beginning. How is it that you received Christ? How is it that you got here? You know what you did when you received Christ? You took your bad things to Jesus. Like that's what you did, right? See, as you grow as a Christian, what you find out is that man, trying to be like Jesus is hard. <laughs> I'm not really, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis where he says that no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good, <laughs> right? I think that's so true. Like what you and I tend to think is if I just try harder, I'll stop sinning one day. Like if I just try harder, one day I'm going to have it all together, right? I'm going to be all, so on my game that I'm just going to, and it just really is a lie. Because here's what happens is the more you try to be like Jesus, the harder you try, the more committed you get. Guess what you find out? How sinful you really are <laughs> and how powerful sin really is in your life. And guess what? The harder you try, the more you get after trying to follow and, and get serious about following Jesus, the more you're going to see your need for him. <laughs> And the need for him, not just to be your example and your God, but to be your savior, right? The longer you're a Christian, what ought to be happening is that the cross becomes bigger and bigger to you. And, and, it's, and it is bigger and bigger to you, right? Our problem is, take your sin, just like you did in the beginning, and run to Jesus. Run to him. Take your sin. He's the focus. It's not like... Like what Paul is remembering, what he's just urging us to do is he's, it's rooted and built up in him. It's not rooted and built up in you. Take your sin. He's the focus of your salvation. Your only hope, my only hope is in the work of Jesus Christ. Um, it's, I was thinking about this illustration. Um, my... Uh, I remember being engaged to Rosie and, um, you know, your free little uh, dating, marriage, sexuality thing. You know, the dirty little secret of campus ministers is that when you feel like your numbers are dwindling a little bit, do the dating, marriage, sexuality series on your campus. And, if, you know, and, uh, and like, uh, like numbers go from if you have 100 kind of coming or something, all of a sudden 250 come, you know, because dating, marriage, sexuality, let's do that series. One, one time every four years I do that so every student would hear that, you know, get to hear some of this stuff. But here's your little freebie from that is engagement stinks, okay? And uh, y'all didn't laugh at that. I, that's, uh, I thought I might get a bigger laugh out of that, but engagement is just kind of hard, and I can remember being engaged to Rosie, and we were having one of those weekends, okay, you know what I mean? I'm at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, she's down at Ole Miss, I drive six and a half hours to be with her that weekend, we're, we're engaged, and um, there's a riverboat formal, you know, on Friday night, there's a football game on Saturday, Saturday morning, we, um, we went and looked at China patterns, you know, which was as fun as you think it was for me, and um, <laughs> We're looking at China patterns, football game. We actually ha write some thank you notes in between, you know, and uh, football game that night. Get up, actually do go to church the next morning. We go to eat lunch. We have this awful fight, you know, there. And we just kind of, I drive back to St. Louis just absolutely miserable. And it dawns on me, you know, I've just spent a whole weekend with the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And we didn't have one conversation, right? I literally, I drive back to St. Louis 
we had, like, we had this big fight, and um, I roomed with Todd Teller in seminary. You know, he's on staff at, at Christ Presbyterian in town. He's the pastor, associate pastor for pastoral care. Todd and I were roommates, and, um, and I got back to St. Louis, and um, I came in, and Todd goes, how, did, how, was, how was the weekend? You know, and I go, Todd, it was terrible. Um, I said, I don't, I, I literally said this to him, and I remember, you can verify this with, with Todd, and I go, I go, I don't think Rosie wants to marry me anymore. <laughs> and, I, and, and this was also about the time, I don't know if y'all remember this time, and this is just how these things get burned into your head, but I'm on I-55 going a long time, and I do what a lot of people do when I'm sad and down. I listen to a lot of country music, okay? And, um, and so I'm, I'm listening to music, and this is when that Reba McIntyre song was com- had come out about this girl who got married when she was 20, you know, and then she starts wondering, is there life out there, you know, and, uh, and I say this to Todd Taylor, I really did, you can verify this with him, I don't think, Ro- and then I, heard, I go, Todd, and then I heard this song by Reba McIntyre, I think that's Rosie, I don't think she wants to be married to me anymore, and Todd Taylor, in wonderful Todd Taylor fashion, pastoral guy that he is, and why we all love him, is he says to me, he goes, yeah, but Kevin, you didn't hear how that song ends, right, and how the chorus is, he says, she's just wondering, she doesn't want to leave, She's just wondering if there's life out there. You know, so God bless Todd Teller for settling me down a little bit in that moment. But that's not even the point of my illustration. (laughs) Is that Rosie and I, we were so busy that weekend, so distracted. I mean, doing all this stuff because we wanted to be together, right? We We didn't want to have to say goodbye at the end of the night, right? Say goodnight and that kind of thing. She was who I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and we just spent an entire weekend where we didn't talk. We were so busy, like, doing the stuff, planning a marriage, that we forgot why we were doing it all. And we needed to remember why it all started in the first place. And I use that just as an illustration to close here. It's just easy for us to get so busy being a Christian, doing all this stuff, that we forget why. That we forget him. And you need to remember how it all started. Remember how you began. Because the Apostle Paul says that's why you continue. Right? Look at him. Look at him. Walk, continue in him. It's what the table's all about. Right? That's why I love weekly communion. Because every I need to be reminded of this all the time. Amen? Let me pray. Um, Father, I pray that we would understand something, uh, or a lot, of what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. It's so powerful. Father, help us this morning to continue with him the way we began with him. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.